With her father's mistress now living with the McNeils under the guise of being her new nanny, Alexis was more determined than ever to find out what really happened to her mother. Could it be that her father Martin, a distinguished town doctor, was actually the one responsible for her death? In her quest to take down her father, Alexis was gathering evidence. Every stone she unturned made her more convinced than ever that he had blood on his hands. The question was, what would he do next? Now that his lover was living with them, there was a chance he had achieved his goal, but there was also the possibility that his ultimate master plan had yet to come to fruition and that something more sinister was in store. Remember, Michelle McNeil was a mother of eight children when she allegedly drowned in her bathtub. She was the glue that held this family together. These children were now without her, and the McNeil family had come undone. You might think at this point in the story, the worst is over. But when it comes to Martin McNeil, it seems there's no one he won't cross, even if they're his own flesh and blood. On this episode, Martin plots against his own children, but he underestimates their intelligence and their willingness to fight back. Little does he know that the tables will soon be turned and that his crimes and past will soon lead to investigators taking another look into the death of his wife. That's all coming up. You're listening to Devious Doctor, The Life and Lies of Dr. Martin McNeil, Mystery and Murder, Analysis by Dr. Phil. I am Dr. Phil. My Bessie Stormburst low top and weekend sneakers empower my summer adventures. Now, I went to New York last week because I had to do a press tour, and I was prepared to embrace the summer season to its fullest, no matter what it threw my way weather-wise. And I'd been going from interview to interview, like seriously, 15, 20 during the day. And then I went to a dinner with clients. I knew that in the middle of that dinner, I had to do one more really key interview. And in order to do it, I had to leave the middle of that dinner and that noisy restaurant for about 10 or 15 minutes. And sure enough, I got to the door to step outside where it was quiet and it was raining cats and dogs. But I had on my Vessie Stormburst, so I was able to go through all of that water on the sidewalk, across the street, to get into my car so I could do the interview in the quiet. You want to stay prepared. Join us now and let us make this summer one for the books. Seize the sun-kissed days and thrilling escapades at Vessie.com mystery for shoes that masterfully combine waterproof protection with urban elegance. Start your journey with Bessie and get an automatic 15% off your first order at checkout. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. 
At this point, Martin and his lover-slash-new-nanny, Gypsy, are living the good life. Sure, Martin's oldest children aren't thrilled with this other woman infiltrating their deceased mother's home, but their feelings certainly aren't giving him any pause. During this time, his children alleged he became more of a bully than ever. Anyone who questioned him was admonished or even shown the door. And Alexis had plenty to say when it came to Gypsy. She saw firsthand that she wasn't doing much in the way of help around the house, and she shared even more disturbing allegations when she sat down and talked with me. Was she what's known as a Wiccan priestess? That's what I've been told. What the hell is that? I have no idea. But she had a shrine of my mother in her room and uh, told that she was casting spells or I don't, I don't, you know, just unbelievable things to try to harm my mother. Gypsy claims that this was just false. Regardless, there's no love lost between these two. If Martin was envisioning a kumbaya household, he had another thing coming. Yet he didn't seem all that concerned with whether or not his live-in girlfriend was making a good impression on his children. At this point, in his eyes, he had won. And he was smiling like the cat who ate the canary. But his daughters, Alexis and Rachel, along with their Aunt Linda, were more convinced than ever that Martin was a cold-blooded killer. Now, think about this. And you have to have tremendous compassion for these young women, Martin's oldest daughters. A heavy responsibility has been placed upon them, or they certainly have taken it upon themselves. As a child, your parents typically teach you to fear strangers. You're inherently afraid of the dark or what might be lurking under the bed, but what do you do when the person you've trusted and loved the most, your father, could be the one hiding under that bed, the monster that lives in the dark, the person you've trusted the most that all of a sudden seems to be the greatest threat in your life. And not just an imagined threat. You are fully convinced that this man, this father, the husband of your mother, has become a cold-blooded killer. This becomes a lose-lose situation here. If they find out that Martin did, in fact, do this, well, they're vindicated, but then they also have the confirmation that their father has done the unthinkable, and they have now lost both parents. Now, Martin has shown himself to be a far-from-perfect man, but just because his daughters know he had an affair with Gypsy, doesn't equate to him being a murderer of their own mother. As the oldest children, you can see why Alexis and Rachel feel that they need to look out for their younger siblings. Remember, there were eight children here. Now, they've taken on the role of the mom. They feel that they have to be the protector. Never did they think they would be protecting against the other parent. They know that their mother would want these youngsters cared for. And things with their father, well, they just aren't adding up. Shouldn't he be stepping in and filling that void? Shouldn't his number one priority to be running the business of the family? 
shouldn't he be saying, look, children, I know you've lost your mother, but I'm here. I'm here for you, willing to make the sacrifice necessary to keep this family together. The McNeils had seven daughters and one son, Damien. It was actually Damien's girlfriend who threw out Michelle's medication, per Martin's instruction. Damien at the time was a staunch defender of his father, and there was a line in the sand drawn at that point between the grown McNeil children. Now, despite knowing what they were up against, the sisters and their aunt went to the police to try to reopen the case. Now, think about the threshold that had to be crossed at that point. You're actually getting in the car, driving down to the police station, and telling law enforcement that the man that fathered you the man that has put a roof over your house, food in your bellies, has protected you from the world. Well, you're saying he's a murderer. You're saying he has killed your mother. Think about how hard that was for these girls to do. What a difficult threshold that had to be to cross. According to Alexis, the authorities were not inclined to re-examine the evidence. As hard as it was to make the allegation, it seemed to be falling on deaf ears. They said exactly what you might also think. Plenty of people have affairs and don't kill their spouse. So why should we believe you girls? Are you just being jealous? Are you just being threatened? A lot of people get a divorce. They get counseling. But murder by drowning? Come on, isn't that a real stretch? We're talking here about a respected local physician, no less. For the McNeil sisters, they felt like they were swimming upstream. No one was believing them. If the police weren't going to listen, Alexis resolved to find another way. She went to reporters. She went to newspapers. She tried everything to keep her mother's story alive in the press, much to her father's chagrin. The first major step in the case happened when Michelle's niece brought the family's documents and findings to the governor's office in Provo, Utah. It was then that investigators Doug Whitney and Jeff Robinson were assigned to reopen the case. What they were about to find would smear the glossy images that seemingly successful family man worked so hard to present to the outside world. When they began to dig into Martin's background, what they found were lies, misdirections, false images, lots of them. His life was a web of mistruths dating all the way back to his college days, and somehow he had overcome the legal scrapes he had gotten into. That is, until now. So let's take a look at the man behind the facade. We know the image. We know the respected doctor image. We know the family man image. We know the community leader image. We know the religious leader image. But what was behind the images. 
first of all, the transcript he used to get accepted into medical school, well, it had been falsified. He had used someone else's records. Now, this is jarring because, remember, this man was appointed by the governor of Utah to run a large medical facility. He became respected in his field, and that reputation was built on a foundation of deceit. There's more. Back in 1973, Martin lied about his age to join the military. He might say he was motivated to lie due to a noble motive. He wanted to serve his country. Well, yeah, that could be. But two years later, he was placed on disability. He claimed he was hearing voices and was diagnosed with latent schizophrenia. From that time on, he collected medical disability payments, even when he flourished as a doctor and a lawyer. Investigators found that he had collected $3,000 a month for roughly 30 years. That's over a million dollars in disability payments. Now understand, if you are a doctor or a lawyer and you suffer from schizophrenia, you might well be designated an impaired professional and stopped from practicing at all. But yet here he flourished as a doctor and a lawyer and collected over a million dollars in disability payments. A bit of a contradiction. Did the governor not bother to look into any of this? So now, what do we know? Well, we know he conned universities with phonied-up transcripts. We know he conned the Army by lying about his age. We know that he collected a million dollars in disability while practicing without any apparent disabilities. But there's even more. When he was in his early 20s, he landed in jail due to a bad habit of forging checks. Now, there's a well-held belief in law enforcement, and that is paper hangers. People that forge checks, write bad checks, are the worst of the worst. They are the most incorrigible criminals, the most unlikely to be rehabilitated. Now, I'm not saying the crime is the worst. There's murder, rape, other crimes of violence. But paper hangers, they just seem to have a high degree of reoffending. Martin liked the finer things in life. He'd go on shopping sprees he couldn't afford. He'd frequently go to fancy department stores and shop for all sorts of things he had no business trying to buy, shoes, jewelry, you name it. One of his most curious ill-begotten splurges was on a year's supply of chocolate-covered cherries, all paid for with money he didn't have. There's a reason they call it theft by check. It's the same as walking in and stealing it out of a store. Because when you get it, you know you can't pay for it. According to his friends at the time, Martin had seen an episode of 60 Minutes that featured check forgers and thought he could do a better job. I mean, really? Let's aspire to excellence as a forger. 
Well, he didn't. He didn't do a better job. This stunt landed him in jail. He was charged with forgery and fraud, and he became a convicted felon. Shockingly, this criminal background didn't raise any eyebrows at his medical school. He was on parole while he was a student. Now, how he seemed to slink away from all of this is just unknown. But get away with it, he did, becoming licensed as an osteopathic surgeon by the early 80s. Now, let me tell you what all this says about a man like Dr. Martin McNeil. Martin shows that he shares Machiavelli's philosophy that the end justifies the means. He wants fancy things, and he just doesn't have the money, so he'll do whatever it takes to get them. Steal them, defraud people, take advantage. He wants to attend medical school but doesn't think he has what it takes to get in. No problem. He'll just go ahead and falsify the transcripts. Let's say he decided he wanted out of the Army. All of a sudden, he's got a mental illness. And not only that, he wants to get paid for this mental illness. Clearly, he's a compulsive liar, but he's also demonstrating narcissism to the highest order. Martin considers himself to be above the law, and apparently the way he operates, he is. The rules and laws that seem to apply to others just don't seem to catch up with him, even when caught red-handed, even when faced with legal consequences. He doesn't modify his behavior. And I don't ask myself why. I ask myself why not, because he seems to get away with it. You can't be licensed as a lawyer if you're a convicted felon. Except in his case. You can't have a medical license and be a convicted felon. Except in his case. We can infer that he most likely doesn't feel remorse about his wrongdoings because, well, he discontinues the pattern throughout his life. There is an interesting duality going on here with this guy. On the one hand, he thinks he's entitled to the good life, even if it's not by the sweat of his work. He's always looking for a shortcut to getting what he wants. For example, he thinks he deserves to get something decadent for himself, like a year's supply of chocolate-covered cherries and expensive clothes. And if he can't afford them or he doesn't want to do the work to earn them, he just steals them. However, his lies also indicate low self-esteem. He shows a history of wanting fine things in order to portray himself as an important man. He wasn't confident he would get into medical school. Perhaps he didn't have the grades or the credentials, so he lies. He lies to make himself larger, more grand, to make himself feel more worthy, and to convince others that he's more worthy. This past behavior of trying to present this mask to the world connects with his modern-day life of trying to seem like a big shot by having the right house, the beautiful wife, the perfect children, the admirable career, the right looks. But at what cost? He's got a history of lying, theft. But there's also a trail of disturbing behavior and violence. When they were young, Martin and Michelle might have looked like a couple straight out of a catalog, but their marital issues began long before he ever laid eyes on Gypsy. You have to wonder what life was like for Michelle, even though 
she stood by her man. His daughters allege that Michelle witnessed Martin threaten suicide on several occasions. I suggest he's way too narcissistic to hurt himself. But he does understand the power of emotional extortion. You do what I want or I will inflict the ultimate pain. I will kill myself and my blood will be on your hands. In fact, a bizarre incident led police to come to the McNeil family home. According to their report back in the year 2000, he threatened to kill himself and Michelle when she caught him looking at pornography. He allegedly threatened suicide again five years later when confronted by his wife again for viewing pornography. Could he have had suicidal ideations back then? Well, yes. And it's evident this was a troubled and complex man. However, it's disturbing to think that one of his tactics was to turn to threats of suicide when he was confronted. Think about it. That takes the focus off what he might have been accused of doing wrong and puts the focus on, hey, we need to stop talking about this and focus on the fact that he might be killing himself. So all of a sudden, his transgressions pale in comparison to the issue that is life-threatening. There's no question this was never a flawless marriage, but by all accounts, Michelle was invested enough in him and loved him enough to stick it out. Let's not forget they were part of a religious community as well. Hence why his indiscretions or less than honorable behavior most likely alarmed his wife. As would the notion of divorce. That's just not something you do in this religious community. That is off the table. That is a failure of the highest order. So that's some of Martin's backstory. A checkered past, to say the least. So this wasn't like everything went from just perfection to disaster overnight. It was never perfection. And this was not a dramatic shift of values, beliefs, and behaviors. So when we turn our attention back to the present time in this saga, it soon becomes clear that he is just getting started. Alexis and Rachel allege that soon after their mother's death, Martin was looking into having the minor children adopted in order to get them out of the house. That's right. Adopted. Why? They're baggage. He's looking for a clean slate. He's got a very attractive girlfriend here. He wants to run and play. And these are anchors around his ankles. For Alexis and Rachel... These are their siblings. And he's toying with them, saying he's going to just abandon them, give them away, place them for adoption. Alexis stood up to him, saying she would fight for custody of the others. Her father's response? He threatened her. She claims he went on a tirade and told her that he could ruin her life. 
He said if she crossed him, he could call her dean and have her kicked out of medical school. He held a family meeting where he told his other children he planned to ostracize Alexis and that they were not to have contact with her. And all the while, he maintained he had done nothing, nothing wrong. In his eyes, he's blameless. Others are wronging him. He's also blatantly lying. At the very least at this point, his daughter knows he has a mistress. He views himself as a good father, a holy man, who is being wrongly chastised by his daughter. What an ungrateful daughter she is. He is an expert at gaslighting. This had to be a young woman of deep conviction. She knew what she knew, and she was not going to be intimidated out of it. I think a major part of why he resented Alexis and her sister Rachel was because they did not fall hook, line, and sinker for his stories. This is her take on why she believed he would have had motive to kill her mother and then create this elaborate web of lies. Why not just get divorced? If he wants to be with, with Gypsy, we call that divorce. You get a divorce and you, exactly. you go do what you want to do. I know, but he'd spent, you know, I believe 30 years of his <clears throat> marriage creating this facade of who he was a respected physician and attorney in the community, a family man. And I believe, you know, if, if he would have gone through with a divorce, not only would he have lost money, but he would have, uh, that facade would have crumbled and he wouldn't have been portrayed as who he wanted people to be. His ego wouldn't stand that. He would rather destroy the relationships that are supposed to be most important in life, the bond with his children, as opposed to risk looking bad in the eyes of others. Image is everything for him. Nothing of substance really matters, only how he appears. Ironically, his actions are what ultimately caused him to become a pariah. Not his image, but his behavior. After years of disregarding the law, Martin was finally about to push his luck one step too far. It was July 2007, three months after Michelle's death. Martin and Gypsy went down to the courthouse and obtained a marriage license. Now get this, the marriage date they listed was the date of Michelle's funeral. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care how arrogant you are. I don't care how narcissistic you are. That's just stupid. That's just beyond reason. It's as if to say that the day her coffin was buried underground was the day they officially began their new life together. They couldn't wait for the sun to set. If this was meant to be a private joke between them, well, nobody else thought it was funny. They thought it was creepy, cruel, insensitive, and cold. Now, we know that when Michelle was alive, she loved all of her children, both biological and adopted, and she loved them all the same. She adopted four little girls from the Ukraine 
in order to give them a loving family and an opportunity for a life in America. So what Martin did next would have devastated Michelle had she lived to see the day. At first, it didn't seem all that suspicious. He decided to send his daughter Giselle to her hometown in Ukraine for the summer. This was just a few months after Michelle's death. He claimed that this was a chance for Giselle to get to spend time with and know her biological sister. Understandably, the rest of her family found it an odd time for him to send her away, but beyond that, it did make some sense. You want your daughter to have connection with her family, with her culture. She was young and had lived as a McNeil for five years, so sending her to reconnect in some ways seemed like, well, a kind gesture. But in reality, as most things with Martin McNeil, it was anything but what it seemed. Her trip was only supposed to be for the summer. But the time she was away stretched on and on and on. Alexis later recounted that she tried to find out the address and phone number of where Giselle was staying in the Ukraine, but that her father refused to give her any information. Wasn't she supposed to be coming back? It just didn't add up. A drowned wife and now a missing daughter? There was a reason Martin wanted Giselle gone. It wasn't just to get her out of the house and make room for his new life with Gypsy. In a twist that no one could see coming, it was revealed that he had sent his daughter away so that Gypsy could assume her identity. That's right. Giselle needed to go away because Gypsy needed to assume Giselle's identity. Remember, he's a man who's shown he's always cooking up a scheme, only this time his scam involves his daughter. It's enough to make you sick. The story he spun was that Giselle would go to the Ukraine to connect with her family. Meanwhile, he gave Gypsy Giselle's social security number, and they changed the birth date on Giselle's birth certificate. Let's look at this list of documents Martin falsified for Gypsy using his adopted daughter's information. Two fake military IDs three joint banking accounts, a fake birth certificate, a fake Utah State ID card, a fake Social Security card. So why would Martin do such a thing at the expense of his own child? Now, I, of course, brought all of this up to Gypsy because I needed to hear her take all of this on. I needed to hear what she had to say. I want you to hear it. Martin and I got together. Uh, I had significant debt. It was uh, tax debt and um, education debt, some other things. Um, he was concerned about adding me to the bank accounts under my information for fear that the money were seized for my debts. And so what I was told, I mean, this was um, temporarily until, until the house sold and my debts were paid, he wanted to add me just to give me access to the accounts under his daughter's social security number. Okay, um, so let me get this right. This was basically 
to defraud the government out of taxes. They didn't, he didn't want to say who you were if you were on an account because they could then seize your account. They could seize the account. And he, it wasn't to defraud them, it was to pay them when we had the, um, the, the money to do so. It was, it was about $70,000. So, so you had the money to do so in the account or he wasn't worried about it being seized. He didn't want them to come he, get their $70,000 out of that account. Right then, that's correct. Okay, so this was to not let the government know that you now had access to money. Yes. For, the, for a short time, that was and How that was is that long. not fraud? How, and I don't mean that in a legal sense, but you're hiding from the government that you have access to money that you owe them. I see what you're saying. I mean, is that, I, I, I'm just trying to simplify this so I understand. Okay. Uh, he had the money in the account. Right. He did not feel that his, his finances could bear the burden of a 70,000 draw right then. And so, like I said, temporarily, this is the plan, temporarily until the house sold. Debts were paid. Um, it was to grant me access to the account. The way she explained it to me, you could see how he might have manipulated her and phrased this to make it sound completely logical as opposed to evil and, well, even criminal. And then in these documents, you represented that you were married to him. Yes. Correct. And on these documents, you used as your wedding date the day that his wife was buried. Okay, let me explain this. Let me explain this. The entire situation was terribly uncomfortable to me. I did not think it was a good idea that I use anyone's social. Um, he thought that the easiest way to do this, though, would be to go onto the base and correct their information and have them issue me a card. And I was too scared to do it. I stayed in the car and I said, if you want to go and arrange this, you can go and try. You talk them into it, they can take my picture, that's fine. But I'm, I don't think this is a good idea. And he, in his, in his boldness, did that and um, called me from the, um, from the office with the documents already filled out. Mm-hmm. Or the information part, portion. Look. Gypsy is far from blameless, but it is not inconceivable to think that she very well could have, as she told me, voiced her concerns that this was not a good idea and that he went ahead and made this happen anyway. Because let's face it, this guy is a controller and it's his way or the highway. Think about it this way. Anytime he's done something wrong and lied, there's always been a profound chance that he'd be caught. This is no difference. He just doesn't fear consequences. And you can understand why, because he gets away with things. We know that he can be very persuasive, so it's not hard to imagine him convincing Gypsy to do this. It was a seamless plan. Until it wasn't. Michelle's niece, Jill, went to the Ukraine to get Giselle and bring her back to the States. When she arrived to get her, she was shocked at the conditions Giselle had been living in. The apartment was cramped, and there was a pan on the floor. Why? Well, that was the pan the family was using to bathe in. Giselle was told she'd be staying for just the summer. 
And by the time she returned to the United States, she had been gone, not for two or three months, but for nine months. She told Alexis that she had been trying to reach their father for months to no avail. She also said that he hadn't given her any money for months. No money for school, no money for food. How could a father have done this to his daughter? Think about it. This is a young girl that was living in a very trauma-based life in the Ukraine, and then what a wonderful day in her life she has been adopted to go to the United States of America, the land of opportunity. She's living in a big house with a loving mother, lots of siblings, a wonderful religious family, a beautiful home. And then she gets sent back. And when a child is abandoned in such a callous way, of course, they can possibly blame themselves, thinking, was I not good enough? Did I do something wrong? Did I not inspire love in my father that he would send me back like merchandise at a store? Was I a lemon? Clearly, he's putting Gypsy's needs above his daughter's. He's fine to give her whole identity away if it means helping himself and his mistress. You have to think about the confusing impact on Giselle's longtime absence on her other siblings. He's splitting them up. They've got to be thinking, who's next? He very well could have thought he would get away with just leaving her there and never speaking to her again. The effects of this trauma could obviously follow a child into adulthood. This could cause low self-esteem trust issues, anxiety, chronic feelings of insecurity, abandonment, low self-worth, damaged self-image. On top of all of that, it's especially saddening to think that this was done to a child who had been adopted. It's almost better to have never seen the other side. Once you're adopted to a wonderful family, a wonderful home, and then have it taken away, it'd be almost easier if you had never seen what it could be like. But this time, Martin wasn't going to get away with his latest harebrained scheme. When Giselle returned to the States, there was a problem. There were now two people with the same Social Security number. By January of 2009, Martin and Gypsy were indicted on nine counts of identity theft in addition to other charges. By the summer of the same year, he was sentenced to four years behind bars. Gypsy was sentenced for her involvement as well. But Martin was in for a surprise. A big surprise because prosecutors, well, they were about to give Gypsy a big loyalty test 
And from Martin's point of view, she was going to fail miserably. You've got to wonder, if Martin had simply lived his life with Gypsy and not sent his daughter away, would he have truly gotten away with it all? Maybe. Law enforcement certainly was not embracing the arguments being offered by Alexis and Rachel. They seemed to be getting no traction. There was no crime that they could sink their teeth into. That is, until now. This would prove to be the beginning of his crushing downfall, and it would not be the last of the accusations brought against him. On our next and final episode of the series, Martin will finally stand trial. You might think the worst has been revealed about him, but you're about to hear other allegations. Allegations of murder. Will he finally be brought to justice? And what has become of the McNeil family since all of this happened? You're going to hear the answer to all of those questions and more in the gripping conclusion to this story. You've been listening to Devious Doctor, The Life and Lies of Dr. Martin McNeil. Mystery and Murder, Analysis by Dr. Phil. I'm Dr. Phil.